Welcome to Discography's Private Press, the Patreon exclusive podcast that takes buried treasure one step farther. This treasure is buried so damn deep, there's probably no way you're ever going to find it in your life, and that's not a dare. You're just not going to find it. And so thus, if music is your thing, and I mean, just look at us, obviously, yeah, it is, uh, then you're not going to experience any more value for your listening dollar than with this series. One thing that we can all agree on in here, our favorite desserts definitely mint, but we'll settle for near mint in a pinch. I'm Dave Gebro. I am Paul Major. And thank the good Lord up above for that. In this episode of The Private Press, we'll be lifting the lathe on the God knows how many copies of Junior and his Solette's Psychedelic Sounds from 1971. Okay, so we got a really interesting story here. You know, from a quantum physics standpoint of roads not taken, of, uh, you know, the universe sifting out its successes from its failures, it's interesting to look at this family of young black children that did not make it where you got someone like um you know the jackson five were you know millions and millions of copies they couldn't even stock the shelves quickly enough uh it's kind of like how you know failure can protect you uh from the devastation that success can bring can it not paul yes and uh because these guys would have gone off the rails knowing what we know about them yeah, I, I think so. I, I, uh, dealing with success would be probably a problem. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this thing from the outside looks just as innocuous and kitty like and, you know, as the Jackson 5. I mean, look at the cover of the record. It looks like a children's album because it's made by children for children. Uh, the music inside sounds you know surprisingly proficient for a group that, you know, uh, you know, were really young kids writing their own material uh, and really just coming back to the same riff played over and over again in different ways, right? Right. Basically, when you listen to the record, you hear the same elements, the same organ figures. The turnaround on almost every song is the same guitar figure. Especially the, the organ. It's dan 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 like over and over right. and over again over and over and yeah. uh it, it congeals that way you know it, it it works as like one long song it does they accept uh for the the four tracks that have vocals differentiate but even i've heard this record a zillion times and a couple of the instrumentals you could play me one track or another track and i, I wouldn't be able in my mind to say which one it was that the, the vibe is so similar and that's not a minus i mean this is if you like the idea of funky gut bucket chicken scratch soul from deep down in the hole not what you'd expect from little kids not at all it's pure soul with just the right amount of sesame street kid play balancing out what feels like darkness that's creeping in at the periphery and you can't quite put your finger on it but you can track that it's there and it's certainly there in reality <laughs> right it's certainly there in reality so i would say the most astonishing anecdote of the discovery of a private pressing album is rich Halp's uh, story about when he first found the record right and you guys are going to just have to hang in there uh because we'll get to it but not right this second keep in mind this is uh kind of like eater Eater are a very young punk band. This goes in the pantheon of, you know, real little kids. This is an 11-year-old guitarist 
and, and his three sisters who are even younger. And some of these songs are like, okay, what's going on here? You have Thing Do the Creep, Mama Love Tequila. I mean, this is enough for social services to get involved here, right? All right, this is, yeah, the backstory. Uh, the father, Harold Moore Sr., gave them, you know, the lyrics and basically made the music and and taught them to play it. There is some, some of it's so tight, you wonder, you know, are they playing everything on it? Did he help a little bit? By the way, this is in Oklahoma. Right, Oklahoma City, 1971, completely unknown until serendipitously someone comes across the copy and we'll get to that story too of why at this late date it's one of the rarest records in the world even though there were a bunch of copies around first tell me about your experience with it i i i'm gonna step aside here man this is just tell me about you tell me about rich well, what is going on with My this experience was uh back in the uh late 80s i was dealing with rich Halp. uh who with his uh, partner, Mark Migliori, had the Rockadelic label and was a pioneer for tracking down bands, reissuing records, uh, had the ear, was a total road dog driving all over the place, digging, 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 flea markets everywhere. And one day we're talking, we used to talk a lot uh, on the phone back then, and he comes and he's like, uh, you won't believe this one. And it was uh, on his road trip there, he came back. I couldn't believe it, you know, and... Uh, Did he tell you the story before he laid the music on you, or what was the order of events? Yeah, I don't remember now, I, I, or how much in-depth he went with this the story. And I was trying to, you know, rack my brain a little bit, too, because uh, when he first found it, of course, the, co the copy was melted, so... Uh, we found out the story about the, the butcher shop and how all the copies save a few were melted. And okay, I so, okay, the reason for that is because they had that shrink wrap machine uh, that that uses the heat, right? The heat for uh, for a butcher shop. Yeah. So uh, they wanted to get the records into the stores locally. And the store said these records have to be shrink wrap. Uh, otherwise, we can't sell them. So then they took it to their uncle's uh, butcher shop and <laughs> sealed them and melted them. Every and single one, every single record. Almost every single one. That That's one of the things a little foggy in my memory because, and I must have gotten both copies from Rich. I, I had my own personal unmelted copy and I had a spare copy, which I traded to Jello Biafra way back and probably our biggest trade ever. Uh, and those must have come through uh, through Rich, but I can't remember. So there were a few that escaped uh, the melt syndrome. The backstory here with this family is Harold Sr. had four kids, Junior and the three sisters, who had been abandoned by their alcoholic mother. Uh, Harold worked for a, a, a rich Jewish woman who liked the kids and got them all musical instruments and paid for lessons so she made the kids a deal that if they learn how to play their instruments and if they learn how to play at least three songs that she would get them a, a gig on a local tv telethon so the kids uh you know dove in head first learned everything real quick and within a year they were appearing on local tv the response was great and <clears throat> this woman 
paid for them to record an LP, but suggested that they write original songs. So this is where Harold comes in. He apparently wrote all the songs that appear on the LP. And here's where things get fucking batshit crazy, with a lot of them being attacks on the the soused and supposedly abusive ex Mrs. Moore. So, you know, when you have like, the the little kid singing mama drinks tequila she stays drunk all the time it's almost like a passive aggressive uh attack on a level of um you know how when uh denny dowerty slept with Al phillips yeah he had him sing i, I saw her again last night over and over and over again as punishment it kind of is redolent of that so you know just as another reflection yet of you know private press uh goofing harold went to uh, a butcher shop where his brother worked used the shrink wrap machines to seal the lps fucked them all up pulled them from the stores and instead of repressing it the woman who funded everything decided to release some singles right so i mean just that alone is crazy but of course the story gets so much crazier from there before we get to the story though let's talk about the music out of the gate and this i do remember when i first heard it it was one of the best drop the needle yes hear what's coming out ever (laughs) because yeah yeah harold moore jr doing the guitar riff. There's a little flub in that, but the groove is perfect. The groove is unassailable, man, all throughout. The most primordial drum vibe comes in. And then you you can hear the kids in the background sort of whooping it up a little, like they're getting psyched to do it. It it sets an atmosphere. And then the go-go organ of your dreams (laughs) starts ripping in. And, and the groove starts. And by the way, hope hope you like that groove because that groove repeats. <laughs> <laughs> Even the songs that are slightly you know, different will have a, a moment where you think, oh, this is going to be an entirely different song. But then they're right on the beam with this, that one beam. Yeah. And I love the titles of uh, the first song. <laughs> Thing to the creep. And that word and the way that record starts, it's just like, yes. <laughs> And then, of course, oh, right the, after that, it's I mean, into the yeah, mama. Hemp. Hemp, right? It does one thing really, really well. It's, it doesn't purport to have, you know, 12 tracks, all of them with, uh, with a different vibe. This is basically the same song, or as you said, one long song that's chopped up and given all kinds of different titles. Exactly. It has that feel. It's totally cohesive, and it never gets boring. <laughs> oh, no, definitely not. There's something about so many elements repeating that enhances it just it just takes me deeper through the through the whole trip you know other people saying all oh, these two songs sound the same here they kind of sound the same but where you are is so perfect you don't want to leave there right it, it it feels redolent to me of a lot of the stuff that sly stone was doing before clive davis's notes started getting to him and he started doing you know dance to the music stuff initially you know it was like exploratory a sort of party organ-led music uh along the lines of what billy preston was initially doing the organ lp of your dreams uh even if it wasn't the context uh that it comes from how it exists wasn't so extraordinary even if this was some like older pro band you'd be grooving yeah this is uh this is some damn good stuff but you know just to deviate from the music a little bit let's talk about 
what the hell happened with rich yeah this is the record collector adventure trip into the twilight zone of your dreams is uh rich and mark went to a place called the memory market after a long day digging in oklahoma city for records what is this back of the place this is uh this would be in the late 80s because uh i think rich was saying late 80s early 90s but i remember getting the record from him when i was still living in new hampshire which puts it at very end of the 80s and uh they spent the day looking having a good time they come across a place called the music uh what was it called memory market which is a one of those little flea market places that has various people sharing the space selling books or old clothes or whatever and in the back of the place two elderly ladies have tens of thousands of records and when rich and uh, mark went in there pretty soon they came across a couple of things like a marble frog album a darius album and had that great moment which i've experienced is there's a shitload of records here and nobody's been through them looking for what i'm looking for and just as the place is getting ready to close they stumble across junior and his soul outs they whip out their little uh, uh big bird portable record player to sample it but pull the record out and it's melted they could only play a little bit at the end of the record to get an idea and right away rich goes monster we got to find this guy so they go get a phone book they call harold moore senior up they find him right away and he said yeah come on over i got some of those records here and they're like oh my god you know yeah, as excited as you can be, you know, to see something like that and realize he's got copies, so they'll actually be able to hear it too. Presuming he has, you know, the you know, copies that aren't melted, which they didn't know yet. So they go to his house, and this is where it gets incredible. They pull up; it's in the bad part of town. Uh, Rich had said, and a lot of the southern and western towns they would pull into. The dodgy neighborhoods are usually by the railroad tracks or by the river. That's where all the crime is, where the poor people live. And he said, Harold lived right between the railroad tracks and the river. <laughs> so they're in a dodgy neighborhood. They go up to the house, bang on the door, no response, bang on the door, no response. And Mark goes around the side of the house and he starts hearing a disco beat. And at the back of the house, he bangs on the door there and there's Harold Moore Sr. He's in this room. They go into the room and there's uh, stacks of uh, ample, you know, speakers and stuff around. But in the four corners of this room, each corner has a little triangular stage with a big piece of plexiglass in front of it. And in the middle of the room is a camera. And uh, they're talking to Harold a little bit. And then he uh, says, uh, you want to see my snake? <laughs> and they're sort of like, hmm? <laughs> and so he pulls out a sock puppet with big lips and a pimp hat. <laughs> and he starts doing the thing with his snake. And then it becomes apparent. He says, oh, uh, he tells him what, what the snake does. And what Harold Moore Sr. used to do is he would go uh, hire a prostitute, take her over and turn the camera on. And he would have the snake doing stuff and the the woman 
dancing in the other corners so that the reflection on the plexiglass would put the snake and the woman together and the snake would do naughty things to the woman and so forth. And he had a habit of making videos of this. He showed Mark and Rich some of them. Of course, he said, uh, you know, the kids love the snake, but don't tell them about what the snake does at night. <laughs> They're just astonished. I mean, uh, how could you not be? Right. I mean, going into the twilight zone, you got this record that is just incredible. And you're not expecting that uh, as a unearthly impossible that this record exists is cracking it down takes you further. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Something that I think could only happen in America. You know, the record itself has such a, an engaging simplicity about it. So to learn that uh, it really is this hiding or obscuring or throwing the scent off from this, you know, impossibly uh, complex, gothic, dark corner of Americana. And everybody you must Google Junior and his soulettes and read Rich's story. It'll come up. You'll read it. It's one of the most important things any record collector could ever read. Things were so exciting back then. Why it was such an adventure looking for this buried treasure and being thrust into a, another world. Well, I can promise you one thing. When this does uh, finally transition into a television show, it will unquestionably be the one of the first episodes that we tackle is Junior and his Solettes. You have my word on that. I mean, people have suggested a few other, you know, things. Something I haven't heard called the J-Gems. Somebody said, check them out. And I'm presuming maybe they're a kid record or something. I don't know. But otherwise, you know, it's one of those things. It's so singular, everything about it, that uh, it's goes beyond criticism uh you know the rhythms get a little shaky once in a while and that even though at the same time they sound like they've been playing together you know for three times they're yeah. <laughs> how they've been on this earth the groove is so good and strong it's a great dance number when i dj a track it seamlessly goes in and nobody has any idea they're listening to a band where the oldest member of the band is 10. <laughs> Right. As far as just a record, if you don't add in or fold in the story behind it or anything like that, I, I give it three and three quarters stars. Me, it's a five star for, you know, bringing back the N.A. or whatever. To me, I have to be totally subjective on this. Uh, it's so it's so singular. And, you know, it's just uh, once again, this life affirming thing for me and music that you can be taken to corners of sound so extraordinary as this record does and uh you know still every time i think of it i yeah i think wow yep it's it actually exists <laughs> exactly the melted copies thing you know just every as aspect of it is incredible you know it just adds to the legend to the core of the real people thing for yeah. me as real as it gets <laughs> uh well we want to thank you so much for uh lifting the lathe with us on the god knows how many copies of uh junior and his solettes psychodelic sounds paul i love everything you represent but the reality of you is even better ah yeah from the inside out the reality is 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 pretty good music or no music good people are good people you are a soldier of sound sir an upstanding one uh with eternal adherence to the ranks no matter what certainly appreciate that and i appreciate my good fortune in life to have been where I was with music and now decades later realized that some, some ball that I had a lot to do with getting rolling 
has brought all these people into the world. Well, now we band together and fight this fight all over again. Thank you so much for joining us here on Discographies, The Private Press, and we will be lifting the lathe yet again with your assistance next week uh, as we bring you one of the endless marches into the uh, dark night of the soul of personal expression in the private press world. Paul, see you then. All righty. I love you. You too.